In this episode, I sat down and chatted with Parker, who's a fourth-year medical student, about his experiences in medical school. We talked about his journey to medicine, including wanting to be a pilot as a kid, to a childhood diagnosis inspiring a path to physicianhood. During medical school, Parker had the keen mind to identify a clinical problem and develop an innovative tool to be able to address this problem, which led him to pursuing two master's degrees during his time in medical school. Parker's story is a great example of the opportunities for innovation in medicine and just goes to show there's a lot you can do with an MD. Welcome, Parker. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to be interviewed on our podcast series today. Very, very glad to be here. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself. All right. So I am a fourth year medical student here at the University of Michigan, but I've been doing a lot of other things in addition to medical school while I've been here. Uh, in addition to the MD, I've also pursued an MBA, which I've now finished the program for. Uh, and then I'm currently working on a master's of engineering over in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering as well. My path uh, that led me to those degrees has been broad, and it's all been driven kind of uh, by an interest in medical innovation. My biggest project while I've been here at medical school was the creation of a medical device that I've been commercializing. So uh, to not bury the lead, that's sort of what I think you've invited me on to the podcast to talk about is uh, that path that's included um, those different degrees and the medical innovation component. Uh, And that's a big part of my identity as a medical student here. Awesome. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get into that. That sounds really exciting. But tell me a little bit about what brought you to medicine. What what made you decide to become a physician? Absolutely. So uh, when I was a child, I wanted to be a pilot. We talked briefly before the uh, podcast started. I grew up traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I was on planes often. And, you know, as a kid, there's nothing cooler, right? You're on a plane, you want to be the pilot (laughs) flying the plane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What else would you want to be? Uh, When I was uh, young, I even had bedrooms where I'd have the ceiling would be painted with airplanes. I had this airplane lamp and uh, it was something that I was, you know, Everyone has something when they're a kid. That's what you want to do. Unfortunately, when I was eight years old, just a few days after my eighth birthday, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And the American FAA says, if you're a type 1 diabetic, at least they used to say, if you're a type 1 diabetic, you can't be a pilot. And that, of course, if the American FAA says it, then goes down the line. Lots of people say it too. Uh, And so then eight-year-old Parker's dreams were dashed, right? All of a sudden... I couldn't be a commercial pilot. So there I am, eight years old. What I've decided, you know, I was going to do, it's not an option anymore. I was left for a while trying to figure out, you know, oh, what else am I interested in? But the experience also gave me new opportunities to interact with doctors in ways I hadn't before. Yeah, that's true. Interacting with these doctors, you know, they were guiding me through a difficult process teaching me, educating me, and helping me in a way that uh, really resonated. Yeah. And I decided that might be something I'd like to be able to do for other people in the future. So it was a gradual process of meeting some really incredible uh, physicians who made an impact in my own life. And I kind of thinking about how I'd like to be able to make that impact in somebody else's life. Oh, that's so cool. That's very interesting. That's very, very sad that your dreams were dashed as a kid, especially for, you know, a medical condition. But 
it's interesting the path it twisted you towards, you know? Yeah, I fortunately nowadays, actually, I, my, my father and my endocrinologist worked together, lobbied the FAA, and recently, it was like in 2014, 2015, they changed that wow. regulation. So now wow. type 1 diabetics can be pilots. So wow. Fortunately, you know, I found, I found a different path that I think fits me better. And actually, I'm more satisfied with this path than I would have been as a pilot. But I'm really glad that now uh, that's not going to be a problem. That's that's really cool. That's amazing that, yeah, that your parents here, endocrinologists did that. Like, that's so interesting. Well, that's awesome. What has your experience in medical school been like so far? So that's a really broad question, I yeah. think, the experience in medical school. Um, the experience in medical school, I think it changes based on what you're doing, right? You've got the early years here at Miskin. Uh, our first year is preclinical. And that, for me, felt a lot like uh, undergraduate, right? Where you're in a classroom, you're studying from slides, you're taking exams. Uh, but it quickly changes, yeah. right, once you get into the clinical space. Yeah. I definitely struggled a little bit with that transition uh, in medical school where all you're thrown into this clinical space. And I think no matter how well you do in your preclinical studies, you're always a little bit unprepared, right? Sure. It's a completely different skill set. Uh, and it's tough going from being, you know, someone who excelled in undergraduate enough to get into a good medical school. And then, you know, you do well, you feel like you're on top of your studies in first year, and then all of a sudden. Yeah. You're in completely different ballgame. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You're thrown into the deep water where, you know, you you feel like you don't quite know what's going on. Uh, and it's a steep learning curve. Everyone gets there, right? We all do. But that is a hard transition for a lot of people, I think. And it was a hard transition for me. Of course, they get there, found the mentors who uh, shaped my path. Uh, I was, it was through my clinical rotations that I was inspired to uh, for the idea to build this medical device that I've been working on. So I I don't know. I, it's a shifting experience, and I, I think it's still changing as I go through it. Well, tell me a little bit more about the medical device that you developed. Yeah. So I, as I, as I mentioned, it was an idea that I first realized while I was doing my surgery clerkship, actually. I noticed that I, you know, all these patients, when you're undergoing surgery, you receive antibiotic prophylaxis, right? We often like to give a cephazolin, which is a cephalus born. But patient after patient, we would say, oh, they're allergic to penicillin, so we can't give them cephazolin. Uh, we'd give them some second line therapy, yeah. right? I noticed that, and it made me start to question, first off, why is well, so many people allergic to penicillin? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, and then also, what does that compromise, giving them some other second-line therapy? What does that mean for their outcome? Well, it turns out it's a whole rabbit hole. Uh, not to get too far down into it, most of those penicillin allergies are fake. And uh, the avoidance actually carries a lot of morbidity and a lot of cost for the healthcare system as well. Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just having a penicillin allergy yeah. on your medical record, regardless of its validity. Uh, increases your odds ratio for developing a surgical side infection by 50%. Wow. Or, I mean, it's an odds ratio, so it's yeah. 50 to 1. And your uh, odds ratio of developing a antimicrobial resistant bacterial infection goes up by about 30 times, right? It's so, a huge issue for our hospital systems. And we don't yeah. talk about it, yeah. right? So 
I identified that problem. My medical device is a point-of-care allergy testing device. It's something that allows us to test the patient for reported allergies, whether they're in the preoperative waiting area, they come into the emergency department, maybe there are a pregnant woman about to give birth and we need to know, you know, they're GPS positive and we want to know if we can treat them appropriately. Uh, my medical device can be put on any exposed skin. You press the button, and 30 minutes later, it lets us know whether they're actually allergic to that thing they claimed they were. Penicillin is what I focus on a lot because there's a really clear, there's a lot of really clear literature about the need and impact of beta-lactam allergies. Uh, but it can be used to test for any type 1 allergic reaction, so any IgE-mediated reaction. Wow, that's so cool. That's like super needed. It sounds like, and I'm just amazing that you kind of identified that problem and then also came up with this really novel way to address it, which is amazing. It's been it's been something that yeah. I've poured a lot of energy, a lot of my time and passion into uh, while I've been here as a medical student. It's not an easy thing to balance, uh, given the rigor of a medical school education, um, but it's been perhaps the most rewarding part of it for me. Tell me about that, like balancing your time in medical school with developing this new device and then also some of the things that have come out of its development. Like where is it currently now in its its phase of development? Yeah, absolutely. So starting with the first part of that question, how to balance the time. I think that's a difficult thing no matter what, right? And people deal with this in all different sorts of uh, ways when you're a medical student, right? Some people have families. Uh, some people have hobbies that are very important to them that they want to make sure they continue and dedicate time to as a medical student. I, and for me, uh, my hobby was, you know, building a medical device. Either way, I think uh, it's just a matter of, first off, prioritizing. You have to make sure you do well in your medical studies. Um, but then taking advantage of the opportunities we have at a place like Michigan, especially where, you know, it's pass-fail for the first year, mm-hmm. right? Set aside the time, carve mm-hmm. it out. It's easy to get consumed by yeah. medicine yeah. and for all of your time to go to it. It's really important to prioritize, to set aside the time to work on other things that you find important. And that's just a conscious decision you have to make. As far as where the medical device is now, it's come a long way. So I've been working on this since 2018. Wow. Right. So it's yeah. been a long time in development. Um, right now, it's actually in clinical trial. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, so we're actually using it to in a non-inferiority trial to prove uh, non-inferiority, no surprise there, against the gold standard, which is skin trick testing yeah. conducted by an allergist yeah. so that we can show that the device is able to detect and read and interpret allergic wheels in a similar fashion. Awesome. Yeah. So so, um, it's been a great, it's been great. There's been a lot, you know, in between coming up with the idea and being in clinical trial. uh, I've learned a lot about the business aspect of it. Uh, Commercialization of biotechnology is a very complex field, it turns out. And it's led me uh, on a path to getting an MBA, to studying engineering. And I've traveled around the country to pitch competitions as well, where I've met a lot of really interesting people working on a lot of really interesting solutions to you know, some of the most important problems that I think are facing uh, healthcare especially. So I, I, I could talk about that alone yeah. for uh, a long <laughs> yeah. time, but it's been a, it's been a really interesting yeah. journey. Um, yeah. What role do you think like innovation plays in medicine, both for yourself and for, you know, the field as a whole? Yeah, I think there are, 
I think we're in a particularly exciting time, mm-hmm. right? At a confluence of uh, new science and technology uh, that allows us to do things that would have been unimaginable even just a few decades ago, right? I mean, think about how ubiquitous something like the CT scanner or MRI are, right? Yeah. Those were invented in the 1970s, right? That's pretty recent, right? There are people, some of our attendings, who were maybe even practicing. Yeah, they might have been at the start of their career practicing before we had CT scanners. Yeah. Wow. And think about how much that changes clinical care today. That's just one example. I think that uh, the combination of technology with uh, medicine is allowing us to do increasingly amazing things Mm -hmm. for the health of our patients. And I think it's going to only continue. Technology tends to be kind of an exponential curve, right? Once we figure out how to do something, lots of implementations, lots of applications tend to kind of branch out from that. Uh, so I'm really excited by the opportunity to be, you know, at the edge of that branching yeah. to try to contribute uh, to it. Um, because I think, I think innovation is changing, has changed and even more so in the future, will continue to change the way we provide care to our patients. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a huge thing. Even, this is something I think about all the time, and it's something simple, but like EMR, like there's, I mean, that was very recent, and there's a lot of people in practice today who like didn't use that in the past, and it's so, you know, so valuable to our care, even when it's, you know, there's still issues with it. But yeah, yeah it's it's very interesting I mean, we to just think had of. like RNA vaccines come out, yeah. like in yeah. you know, <laughs> wide use, like in yeah. the last year and a half now, I guess. Yeah. Right. And like, so innovation is changing the landscape. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned your other degrees. Tell me about um, how you decided to pursue those and what was the process like? Yeah. So back when I was I, uh, early on in the development of the medical device, because that really is, I keep going back to that. I might yeah. sound like a broken record. No, People yeah. might be <laughs> listening to the podcast thinking, oh, OK, maybe, you know, stop stoking your own ego about it. Um that really was a big driver for my path, right? I was working on this medical device, prototyping it, working in my spare bedroom, trying to make this thing work. And I looked ahead to the future and I realized that I did not know how a medical device becomes a medical product, right? How does something that you build become something that's used in a clinic or a hospital, the places where it actually makes an impact on patient care? Really, like I didn't understand how even hospitals made money right yeah. that's not something they teach us in medical <laughs> yeah. school it has yeah. something to do with all of the use you know medical coders play an important role but yeah. beyond that i didn't have a really strong understanding i i realized that if i wanted to launch a medical device as a product in a sustainable way in a way that was going to be able to make it to all the places where it can be useful i was going to need to better understand the economics of healthcare. Um, And so that's what drove me to pursue the MBA. I wanted to understand better that kind of bridge between research and development to commercialization. Uh, And uh, props to our business school here. They do a really great job of it. They have um, uh, an entire entrepreneurship institute that is dedicated to commercialization education and I certainly I got out of it what I was hoping for oh awesome yeah I got lots of opportunities as well I found my business partner there I was 
uh, given the opportunity to participate in a lot of competitions where I learned a lot about how to be a better leader in general, but also how to run a, uh, a better company that I hope will make this medical device successful because unfortunately uh, it's not enough to have just a good idea you have to you know you have to develop it in a a way that's actually going to be lasting and robust granted with all of that you know i had the time to continue working on my device right and i was building on the business now i've hired a few people to work on the business Right, we are in clinical trial, things are, you know, we're talking to the FDA, things are really uh, advancing. And it made me realize too that, uh, you know, early on in a startup, you kind of do everything. But if things go well, right, if things actually succeed, you're eventually going to have the opportunity to kind of focus your time, focus your energy. And so I took a look at the kind of uh, behaviors, the sort of, uh, actions that uh, my company engages in and thought about, you know, where do I find the most happiness? Where do I get the most fulfillment out of? I realized I really do like being on that sort of early research and development uh, part of it. So I, I fortunately had enough background and knowledge to uh, prototype this device myself. But mm-hmm. like I said, I've been working on it since 2018. A lot of that has been trial and error. Right, lots of failures, lots of setbacks, lots of having to research and learn how to do new things to overcome obstacles, uh, and it took me much longer than it probably would have taken somebody who is much more knowledgeable about the subject. Right, so I realized that uh, if I want to be able to carve out this role for myself in the future, medical innovation kind of working on research and development, there's value in. I pursuing formal education in sort of that, you know, uh, design and prototyping sort of aspect. And that's what drove me to uh, study electrical and computer engineering. So that even though, you know, a master's might not make me an expert in that field, at least it will arm me with the ability to speak the language of engineers and understand the kind of mental uh, frameworks that they engage in so that I can be a better leader in the kind of research and development space. That's awesome. And you said you're in that master's program currently. Yeah. I mean, awesome. uh, yeah, How's I was, it going? <laughs> you know what? Uh, frankly, they probably shouldn't have admitted me. I did not have the background. <laughs> I do not have the prerequisites. Uh, but I'm learning fast and I'm learning yeah. a lot. Right? So it's, uh, it's fascinating material. Um, I think I, electrical engineering is a much broader field than I realized, yeah. you know, back in 2018. Uh, so I'm, I'm learning stuff all the way from manufacturing to signal processing, you know, uh, and it's a, it's a really interesting community too to be a part of. Lots of people who are builders who want to make stuff, and I really I really get along with those people. That's awesome. Um, have you had experience in this? I know you said you know this is your first time doing something like this or doing this masters too, but. Tell me where like the interest in innovation and you know product making came. Yeah, so I I've always been the sort of kid. It's a cliche, but I was the kid who like took things apart and yeah. to see how they worked yeah. and try to like put them together back together in different ways. I've always been kind of a tinker, mm-hmm. uh, you know, liking to build things. 
Um, but I didn't have any formal engineering uh, experience, no formal engineering background or education. Uh, just sort of, you know, ad hoc sort of, you know, learn as you go sort of stuff. I had tried my hand at entrepreneurship before. I launched mm-hmm. a company while I was in undergraduate. I, it was a software as a service sort of, you know, asking me to help people get into uh, medical school. Ultimately, it failed. But that's okay, you know. I, the, I learned more about entrepreneurship from that experience, yeah. trying to build a product and bring it to customers than I have learned in any other way. Right. So, you know, for anyone who's listening who is interested in entrepreneurship, that's absolutely my best advice is go ahead and try. Go ahead and fail and start failing as soon as you can. Right. But again, no, you know, formal background. So I kind of had that mindset, though, of like trying to find problems and think of solutions. And I think that's a, a muscle that you train, I think. It's hard when you're not used to it. You go through your life every day kind of just doing things the way you're used to doing them. There might be inconveniences or problems, but you've figured out and everyone around you has kind of figured out ways to work around it, right? The patients are allergic to penicillin. We'll just give them vancomycin instead, you know? So it's a muscle you have to train, kind of searching for those opportunities where you say, wait, why though? And what does that mean? And how could we maybe do it differently? I came in with that mindset, but I think I was intimidated at first about applying it to medicine, right? Something like biotech, I I said before, is so complex. And, you know, you see the things they use in an operating room or in a clinic and you think, wow, it's a black box, right? It's magic, essentially. And it can be intimidating to think, well, maybe I can do something like that. I was really fortunate. I, I had a great mentor here at the University of Michigan who is himself uh, an engineer who is working on developing uh, medical devices mm-hmm. and kind of showed me the path that, yeah, you can, you can combine these things into a really successful career of being both a fantastic you know, technical physician while also being an innovator, while uh, creating solutions that solve patients' problems kind of at a systemic level. So it, that inspired me to actually start prototyping and start building this medical device as a solution to the problem that I had identified. That's awesome. That's, I mean, it's so impressive to me. I feel like I don't have any of those skills of, you know, innovation in that sense or building medical devices. I can't even imagine where to get started. Um, um, no one, no yeah. one stops with this. Yeah. So you, just, you get started yeah. and you figure it out. That's, I mean, I think that's great advice. I was going to ask you what your advice is for students who are interested in innovation, interested in like medical device making and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it, if you're in a place like University of Michigan, there are so many resources. All you have to do is reach out and somebody will take your hand and lead you down the path, right? You can reach out. There are always, like if you're here at the University of Michigan, the Zellroy Institute over at Ross, uh, the Pinkert Healthcare Accelerator, the engineering school has a lot of people too who are technical. And if you don't have the background to be able to prototype something yourself, you're going to be able to find people who are interested, wow. uh, who might not have an idea themselves. But if you have, maybe you have a good idea, maybe you have the clinical background to yeah. identify the problem and understand it and kind of think of a solution, but you, you don't know how to build it. There's going to be somebody else, especially at big schools like Michigan, who have that skill set that you don't have and are going to be able to mess, mess well. 
We even have uh, we have organizations here at Michigan, and I think some of these are national organizations that you might be able to find at other institutions as well. Things like Sling Health, um, things like uh, Nucleate, uh, that these programs that are designed specifically to bring people together in a multidisciplinary way. Um, because no, as as much as I try to have a background in everything, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, nobody can do it alone. Right. And you shouldn't try even if you could, because it's a complex industry and your time to market is a valuable resource. Well, that's really cool. I think that's helpful for students who are interested in it, too, of like also, you know, it's so important as as in medicine that we work with other fields. Right. You know, we need our other disciplines to be innovative and to to do other things because we can't always do it alone as as physicians you know sometimes you can identify the problem but you need others to bring others on board to to fix those problems tell me what it was like to like pursue a master's degree during medical school obviously two master's degrees um i i think that's kind of something that's not always common at other medical schools we have quite a few students who do pursue other masters here at our um, institution but i think it's actually not as common in other schools from what i've heard Um, so tell me what it's like to take that time off during medical school yeah, for sure. I think here in Michigan, I, I read a statistic. It's like a third of all yeah. uh, students do a, uh, a dual degree, right? That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I think you're right. It's, it's less common out of the schools. I know you did, we were talking before about yeah. your master's degree at Columbia. Was that before you started medical school? No, so that was during my between my third and fourth okay, year. Okay, so you so, can yeah. have this experience as <laughs> yeah. well. Right? So for me, it was, a, it was a simple transition, right? Especially for the MBA, because that is yeah. a uh, kind of organized uh, already set up dual degree here yeah. at Michigan right so they've already figured out all the logistics you have to go through a kind of application process but then you you sign a couple papers you have to go to a meeting where they talk about what it like how you'll transition one way or the other and then you just sew up yeah I remember <laughs> I remember I was on a, a GI surgery sub I the month before I started business school. Oh, wow. And I remember going home after a case on Sunday and then woke up Monday and just walked over to the business yeah. school and like sat down in a classroom. Like, I, I, that almost was a surreal experience. But um, it was an easy one. It was a seamless one. I was worried about coming back to medical school, right? After you've yeah. been away for some time, you... Yeah. Am I going to remember how to do the yeah. neurophysical exam? Yeah. <laughs> do, what's a stethoscope? But it was an easier transition back than I actually expected. I feel like it's one of those things that it's almost like riding a bike. You've done this so many times, it's reflexive. The engineering degree was a little bit more kind of, I, I had to build it myself, like put it together myself. Yeah. But still uh, a relatively easy process. You sign up for a leave of absence, educational leave of absence. Um, and just apply, well, first you apply to the school and get accepted before you apply for the leave of absence. But just, uh, you know, same way you would if you were not a medical student. I think it's a relatively straightforward, at least here at Michigan, I don't know the case at other, uh, other programs, but here at Michigan, they make it relatively easy to do. Yeah, you're right. I think that transition back can be really scary after being out of the out of the hospital for so long. I actually was like, I can't believe they just like let me leave for a year and then come back and see patients. It yeah. was it was very um, overwhelming. But I started. I came back in August and came back on a psych 
rotation and okay. I was like I haven't done psych in forever I was no. like so nervous but it was it, it was an easy transition back like easier than I expected it to be so I would agree with that it, it is overwhelming but I also think the same thing will happen before residency too you'll oh, have like a, quite a few months out of like uh, out of the hospital and then all of a sudden be jump in jump in with so many more responsibilities too so yeah um, I think so definitely um what do you um what role do you think like medical knowledge plays in our lives you know outside of clinical medicine mm. I think you've you know you've touched on this topic of like ways in which we can utilize you know our, our medical knowledge to be like really innovative to like impact um you know medicine um, but do you do you have any insight into ways that it, it plays a role outside of the clinical realm of taking care of patients? So I, I think actually it's one of those things that it's really easy when you're in medical school. There's a well-trodden path, right? You're a medical student, so you're going to be a resident, so you're going to be an attending. And, you know, that kind of path is one that, you know, 98% of people follow. And it's kind of assumed that that's the path everybody's going to follow as yeah. well. Right. And... That has its benefits and that the system is kind of optimized to get you through that path. Um, but it has drawbacks as well in that people often don't look up from the path, I think, and think about what else they could do. And I think the MD is one of the most versatile degrees you can actually get, right? It really represents a deep level of knowledge about something that is existential to people's lives. Healthcare touches so many other industries and fields as well. And I think there's actually a whole lot you can do with an MD if you decided not to do the classic residency path or maybe even in a distance residency path, like I'm doing the innovation aspect in a distance. I, I have friends who did the MBA with me and then have gone off and done consulting now. They work, I have one that is working for a boutique healthcare consulting firm out in California and just like loving life. I know some people who have decided to be teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get into medical device, obviously. You can get into pharma. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is, there's a wide range of things you can do with the knowledge and prestige of a medical degree that just is not well publicized, not well known amongst medical students obviously i think medical schools you know they want us on that that path to residency and that's kind of their their design right they want to you know create doctors right who are going to take care of patients but i do think it'd be interesting to to think about more ways even in like not just taking a different path but ad adjunctive ways that you can you know do other things with your md um like you mentioned like the, the medical innovation and i think I think it would be super worthwhile to like explore those different mm -hmm. different topics within medical school or provide education on them to medical students. Yeah. Um, I think that was sort of like the strategy behind the paths of excellence yeah. curriculum they, yeah. they were trying to do here. I don't know how, how that's going now though. Yeah, yeah, the paths of excellence are are different. The paths in at our medical school here, where you can explore different topics that you're interested in. Um, were you in a path of excellence? Yeah, I did the innovation now. Obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was in the humanities one, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there are different ways that you can explore your interests, kind of that are outside the field of medicine, but also like adjunctive to it. You know, yeah. that you can utilize. Which, yeah, I think I think it's beneficial and worthwhile. It's also helping you to create this well-rounded person who's not just you know going to the hospital and coming home and, you know, 
not doing anything else, you know, like you mentioned, super yeah. interested in other passions that you have. Which is not to say, right, the, it's a super important job, obviously, being oh, a yeah. clinical physician. Yeah. The people who do <laughs> yeah. just, like, go to the hospital yeah, take yeah, care yeah. of patients. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But yeah. uh, for those who have uh, interests yeah. outside of that, yeah. uh, it's absolutely possible yeah. to combine uh, those interests with clinical medicine. Then I have a question kind of related to, I mean, you've had four years of medical school, these two years of these degrees. And, you know, these are all like very transformative education processes. How do you feel like your professional identity or your sense of identity has changed over the course of medical school? Yeah, um, I think medical school is a transformative experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, You grow a lot, you learn a lot. you learn whole new ways to communicate with mm-hmm. uh, the people around you, new ways to think through problems. Mm-hmm. And that kind of carries over to every other part of your life as well. Mm-hmm. As far as my professional identity, I think, was part of the question there. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly came in uh, when I was like my first year thinking, yeah, you know, uh, of course, I, I down the same path as everybody else. I was just going to, you know, keep my head down and go be a resident and mm-hmm. go be an attending and uh, do clinical medicine it's of course like great path but I I had kind of accepted in the back of my mind that I had to put off these other interests and yeah. these other things I, I wanted to do I think as I became more comfortable with medicine as I became more comfortable with the hospital and interacting with patients and like uh, everything that goes into it I came to shift my perspective a little bit to understand myself, not just, you know, oh, I'm going to be a physician, but like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be somebody with medical knowledge. That means I can take care of patients. It means I can do these other things as well, making it become part of my identity instead of me becoming part of mm-hmm. being a physician, becoming a part of my identity rather than I am a physician. Yeah. If that makes any yeah. sense. Like it's added into these other buckets of identities that you have and also that you can utilize that to to engage in other aspects that, you know, other passions that you have or other interests that you have. And it kind of can coexist all together. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like going through medical school is very at least the first two years for us here. It's very much like you're just trying to get through it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're just trying to absorb everything and you almost lose sight of like what you're going to end up, you know, becoming, right? Or yeah. what you're working towards because you're so focused on the day-to-day of actually just being a medical student. So your identity is so tied up in that medical student aspect when you're actually really transforming and growing towards becoming a physician. Um, yeah. And you start to get a, get a handle on it, I think, as you go through medical school for sure. Well, thank you so much. This has been really informative. I really appreciate you chatting with me today. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or mention about your experience with medical school? I guess I would just try to summarize and say that, you know, if if you're coming into medical school, if you're in medical school, if you have any other interests, uh, like each of us have done, pursue it. Make it a part of your career because the career of a physician can be versatile. You can craft your niece. All you have to do is reach out and start building it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't be afraid to take those first steps. Those first steps are the hardest. I agree. I think now is the time to do it in medical school. And I think there's so many opportunities when you're you know, at an institution like a medical school that can provide you with different avenues for exploring your passions. Um, 
but also, you know, it's a lifelong process and there's there's so many ways we'll grow as we move into the field too. So that's always really exciting. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck with your medical device and with the rest of medical school too and uh, residency. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Distant Moon, Stories of Healthcare Education. You can find us on oxycardia.com, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.